Thank you. Thank you so much. How many of you appreciate Pastor Mark and Amy? They are outstanding folks. And love and appreciate them. I've heard Pastor Mark minister in different venues, and he's always brought great words. And he, they are so respected among their peers in ministry, and they have a lot of associations and connections, and uh, everybody just holds them in high esteem. And uh, that's, that's because of great character and great leadership. And so I'm glad you're a part of this church and get to benefit from that. I appreciate Pastor Mark's kindness. He mentioned I've been here several times. And when he called me this time, I said, Pastor Mark, I'm so glad you're asking me back. And he says, well, we just thought we'd keep asking you until you get it right. <laughs> and uh, now he did not say that. I just totally... I totally made that up. He did not say that at all. Um, but uh, I'm really very excited to share the Word of God with you. I spent this afternoon, had a, an hour session with uh, ministers and other leaders across Europe. And um, it was online, of course, and, but it was translated into Portuguese, French, Spanish, and they may have had some others. And uh, I'll tell you, God is moving all over and uh, I want you to know churches and pastors are not cowering and intimidated. Uh, they are rising up in boldness, and, and they believe, and I'm talking about pastors all over, this is our finest hour, and this is the time for the church to shine. And I made the statement this afternoon, when the world is the darkest, the church will shine its brightest. And thank God for Jesus. Um, I want to take just a quick second before we start, and I want to just uh, just take a quick minute. If we could put up that first slide of the books. Um, we have some uh, books that... Uh, uh, the stacks on the left and right are the ones in other languages. The stack in the center is English. Uh, but we're just tremendously thankful that some of the things that uh, the Lord has, I, I believe, led us to write and helped us to write uh, are, are working in these Bible schools in different parts of the world and ministers around the world are benefiting from them. But the next slide will show you the stack in English because you know those are the ones that you might be interested in. Uh, those are the books uh, that we had. If we can go back to that, uh, the one, but that stack you just saw of the faces of the book, there we go. Those are the ones that we had prior to uh, the big coronavirus shutdown and things like that. Those are the books uh, we've written over the years. And for those of you that have been here when I've been here in the past, maybe you've seen or acquired some of those. Uh, but this year, as a traveling minister, I had a little spare time on my hands. Um, have you ever seen dominoes fall? That's kind of what happened to our traveling schedule uh, starting in March. And so I just thought, you know, when Paul got stuck in prison, uh, he didn't sit there and do nothing. He wrote letters. And uh, when John got exiled to the island of Patmos, he didn't sit there and do nothing. He wrote the book of Revelation. So maybe when our schedule gets disrupted, that's a good time to write some stuff. And so the next slide will show you what we've been able to release this year. Um, it starts uh, the Miracles and Supernatural book. Actually, it's a pretty big book, and that had actually been written prior to the shutdown, but it was released afterwards. But the other three books, The Lord is My Shepherd, Relationships Matter, and What Would Jesus Say, those, those have all been written and released this year. So if any of those are interest to you, that's just what we wanted to let you know. So um, that's enough about the books. They'll, they're out there if you're interested. But I know... 
I, I have heard, uh, and this is just as true as Pastor Mark telling me that I could come back until I get it right, but I've heard that you all are archaeologists and uh, very fascinated in, in ancient relics and things like that. So I have a picture. I'm going to show you a picture here in a second. And uh, I'll just tell you, it's from the first century. And um, to, to whoever can tell me what it is, and I hope it's just one person that gets it right, um, and I hope two people don't say it at the same time, uh, but I'm going to give you a free book. So if we could go with that picture, um, the first picture afterwards, if anybody, I know it's really eroded over time. There's not nearly as much there. It's a, it's a first century you know, type of piece of sculpture and that type of thing. Does anybody know what that is? Way in the back. Oh, my goodness. It is a shepherd holding a lamb. So, Brother Mickey, would you run this back to her? That is, and I want to know, how did you know that? Like, you're not married to the guy that runs the slides or anything, are you? Okay, and saw it early. How did you know that? You just... You're just smarter than everybody else? No, you just saw it. Okay, well, let's go to the next picture. That is a shepherd holding a lamb. Let's go to the next picture. And this is a much more modern, uh, I think it's a replica. Uh, The first picture, the ancient one, I actually took that in in Israel, in in Caesarea. I took this picture in Rome, and because of the quality and the shape it's in, um, I'm pretty sure that's a reproduction. But, but the shepherd and the sheep is actually one of the oldest symbols of Christianity. And I think you can understand why, because Jesus gave so many illustrations about, you know, I am the good shepherd, the shepherd, good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Um, you know, so many, Psalm 23, all different kinds of references to, you know, Jesus and God being like a shepherd caring for the sheep. And I actually took that, if we go back to that picture, I took that picture in the Colosseum, uh, it was in Rome, and I noticed if you look real carefully, that shepherd is smiling. And if you look really close, the sheep is smiling. <laughs> I sat there and looked at that thing, and that sheep's just, he's just as happy as can be, and the shepherd is happy, and, and I just love that, because how many, you know, how people sometimes, they picture God, he's just ticked off, and he's angry, and he's all that, but you know, the, the Bible says, the Lord our God in the midst of us is mighty, he will joy, he will rejoice over us with joy. And, uh, you know, kind of reminds me of smiling shepherd and a smiling sheep. Um, Jesus talked about the shepherd that had a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders off and gets lost. And uh, the shepherd leaves the 99, you know, make sure they're okay. Then he leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one that was lost. And notice it doesn't say, so he beat the daylights out of that sheep so it never wander off again. You know, no, it says he, he, he rejoices and he celebrates over that sheep. And, uh, and, and the Bible says there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents and, you know, comes to God and things like that. And so it's just, I think it's really important to understand, you know, this real simple truth. God is good. 
And um, so, so many, but the next picture, if we could show the next one. Uh, I was in Israel last October, and uh, we went to this place that had kind of reconstructions of what first century scenarios would have looked like. And, and I just really enjoyed That guy is a real honest-to-goodness shepherd, um, and, and they bring him in to, you know, do these things to show the tourists how a shepherd is and, and all that. But the next, um, the next picture as well... I noticed that while we were standing there that one of those sheep just came up and stuck his nose through the fence and was just kind of nuzzling the guy. And he was just, you know, uh, know, kind of scratching it under the chin and things like that. And you could just see the tenderness. You could see the affection. And, uh, you know, when I think of that, I think of what the Bible says. You know, he is our shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture. You know, he really cares about us. And uh, how many of you are glad to be a sheep tonight? Uh, because we have a shepherd. As a matter of fact, I want to show you the, ne- the next picture. This isn't all just going to be pictures tonight, okay? But I want to show you, that was, uh, how many of you know that is an adorable lamb? That is just such a cute sheep, and, and uh, he's, he's fluffy, and, you know, you just kind of wish you could reach through and pet him and, and things like that, and... And, uh, and notice, he's such a good sheep. He's right on the path. Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that just like you? You know, you're just, you're adorable. And, you know, uh, you know you're just fluffy and, and uh, you know, that type of thing. Um, but did you know that a lot of the things about sheep in the Bible are kind of about sheep kind of getting off, you know? And uh, like in Isaiah, it says, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Isn't that awesome? And uh, sometimes when sheep get off track, some problems occur. How many of you know sheep are good when they're with the shepherd and when they stay with the flock? You know, one thing I've seen is I've worked with pastors in different parts of the country and the world and been in some different churches here in the last handful of months. Um, How much people have realized we really need each other? You know, uh, how many of you know isolation is, is not fun? You know, being separated from people is not fun. And, uh, and so we need one another. But sheep, sheep sometimes get off track. And I want to talk to you tonight, just for a quick minute, about a particular sheep, a specific sheep. Uh, this sheep was from New Zealand. And if you've traveled, you know that New Zealand and Australia have tons of sheep. This was a sheep in New Zealand that wandered away, got off, got lost, and, um, and, and normally, if a sheep gets separated from the shepherd and the sheep, it doesn't last long. Because sheep, um, they don't have really, you know, they can't fight or anything like that. They don't have any defense mechanisms. But this particular sheep, I don't know, it must have been kind of clever. Because they, they found out that this sheep actually found a little cave to hide in. And, and for six years, this sheep would uh, hide in that cave and come out and eat some grass and drink some water and go back. And so it didn't get killed. But the problem is, do you know what a sheep looks like who's been 
renegade and a fugitive and away from the shepherd and away from... Do you know what a sheep looks like after six years of not getting its wool shorn and everything? Next picture. Now, how many of you know... I don't quite want to pet that one. I just wonder how many organisms are living in that wool coat. See, sheep, when they, when they produce that wool, when they grow that wool, it's really for somebody else's benefit. And, uh, and, but if they're off and away, they never get this stuff clipped off. And it just, when they, when they sheared, if that's the right word, when they took care of this lamb properly, uh, it, it had 60 pounds of extra wool on it. And, um, and, and, and they say that you could, they could have made a suit, you know, like a suit coat, suit pants for a man. They could have made suits for 20 men with the amount of wool that came off that thing. And uh, it's, it's really just an amazing miracle that that thing lived that long. Um, we have one final picture. This is the end of our picture show for the night. Um, next picture, if we could. That's what he looked like. Oh, and they called him Shrek. <laughs> that, that sheep was forever known as Shrek afterwards. And, uh, you know, I'm guessing that they put that blanket on him because... Who knows what kind of skin condition he had, you know, and how many bugs and stuff had been messing with him and stuff. So probably the blanket is probably what enables us to look at him and, you know, be okay with it. But um, so having said all that, I want to talk to you tonight about us. He is our shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. And last year, I'll just give you a little thought. It was, I don't know, probably, probably about a year ago, uh, 2019. And, and uh, honestly, we had a good year last year. Things were well, you know, uh, great ministry, just everything was good. But for whatever reason, I just had let some little nitpicky things bother me. Uh, no crisis, no massive problems or whatever. I remember I was pulling out of my driveway, and I just remember I had about three or four things in my brain going on, and I was just thinking, yeah, I'm kind of frustrated about this stuff. Do you know the Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine? And see, what happens is when we get hit with a massive crisis, we immediately go running to God, Right? But when it's just little nitpicky things, we think, well, I'm just going to figure it out. I'm just going to solve it all myself. And you know, a lot of times in the final analysis, we end up doing better in a major crisis than we do with just a bunch of little nitpicky things. Because if it's little nitpicky things, we just think we can solve it. But when it's a big problem, we just go running to God and, you know, really surrender to God and things like that. And, and we shouldn't just have God in our lives as just a default in times of crisis. You know, God wants us to have a regular, real relationship with him, friendship with him, uh, that type of thing. But I just had these little nitpicky things, yak and, and, and that type of thing. And all of a sudden, up out of my heart, out of my spirit came these words to my mind, the Lord is my shepherd.
And, and it just, all of a sudden, it was just kind of like, boy, the lights come on. Now, how many of you know that when we say, the Lord is my shepherd, what, what is that the first phrase of? 23rd Psalm. And, you know, everybody knows the 23rd Psalm, right? Sinners know the 23rd Psalm. Why? Because they watch movies. And they've seen the funerals in the movies where the minister is standing there at the graveside and saying in that somber voice, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And they hear the 23rd Psalm that way. And please don't misunderstand me. Nothing wrong with the 23rd Psalm at a funeral. It's really comforting and wonderful. But the 23rd Psalm wasn't really written just for the dying. The 23rd Psalm was written for living, for living life. And I just felt when that happened, the Lord is my shepherd. All of a sudden, just these, all these ramifications and repercussions. And I started thinking, if, the Lord, if I'm really allowing the Lord to be my shepherd, then I shouldn't just be sitting here frustrated and flustered and, you know, kind of agitated about all this stuff. And, and so I just made it a point when I got home again to open up my Bible to the 23rd Psalm and began to meditate on the different verses and ask myself the question, am I really allowing the Lord to be my shepherd? See, that's kind of an active participating uh, partnership type thing because a lot of times, to be honest, a lot of people have received Jesus as their savior, but they're not really in practice allowing him to be their shepherd. See, when you receive Jesus as your savior, you know, and, and I don't want to minimize the importance of that. When you accept Jesus as your savior, you're recognizing hey, I've sinned. I've come short of the glory of God. Um, I, I need to be forgiven. And I hear through the gospel that God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin so that, and to be raised from the dead, shedding his blood so that I could be forgiven, accepted, made righteous, become a child of God, have an eternal home in heaven when I leave this world. How many of you are thankful? thankful that Jesus has made himself available to be our Savior. And, and that's, what, that's what we're talking about. But did you know what? To receive Jesus as your Savior means that you want to be forgiven for your past and have an eternity in heaven in the future. But, but what about today? What about daily living that's where we need to know the Lord is our shepherd, the one who leads us and guides us and cares for us and imparts. I let Pastor Mark, you prayed something about, I don't, I don't even remember the words, but about you know, God just making himself real to us, and I don't remember the words, but, but, but God wants to be real to us in our day-to-day -day life, in our daily walk. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, this thing that we call faith, this thing that we call Christianity, it's not merely an intellectual set of beliefs, but it's to be experienced on a day-to-day -day basis. So what I want to do with you, and it's not going to take long, um, I want to go through the 23rd Psalm with you. 
We're going to do it kind of fast. There's only six verses. But I want to give you 12 blessings that are released into our lives when we really are following the Lord as our shepherd. Now, just because you say the Lord is my shepherd doesn't mean that you're really following him as shepherd. It's one thing to mouth the words. Did you know you could teach a parrot to say the Lord is my shepherd? But that doesn't mean the parrot is following the shepherd. And so I just want to take us real quickly, and uh, we aren't going to spend more than a you know, quick minute on each of these uh, 12 points, but um, what, what 12 blessings are released into our life when we really are following and engaged with the shepherd? Really quickly, number one, the first thing that is released in our life when we're following the shepherd is provision. Provision is released into our lives. Um, Jesus said, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. How many of you know that God is a provider? And so many people, because they're religiously brainwashed, they think, well, I I don't know if I really want to commit my life to God because he'll probably take everything away from me. Well, the, the Bible says the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or I shall not lack. Uh, now, now, God doesn't want us to love any material stuff more than we love him. But the Bible says that, that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy the things of life. He doesn't care if you have things. He doesn't want things having you. He doesn't want you worshiping things or or loving them more than you love him. But the very first thing that when we begin to follow the shepherd, when we follow him, he will lead us into places of provision. Number two, when we follow the great shepherd, he he will cause us to receive rest. Rest. David said, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. You might much prefer a lazy boy or, you know, something like that. But if you were a real sheep, I mean, physically a sheep, you would love green pastures. And, and that's a place where sheep can do what they can rest. Yeah, I don't know if, if it's just me or whatever, but it just seems like so many people are living life at such breakneck speed. It's like, you know, the goal of life is to increase velocity, you know, and just how busy we are defines our value and things of that nature. But you know what Jesus said? He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find, what did Jesus say? You shall find rest for your souls. Do you know there's some people that no matter how much they rest physically, they're still fatigued because their soul never rests. 
They've never, and I'll say this condemningly, it's just, a, it's just a heart check evaluation type thing. They've never really cast their cares upon the Lord. And let me tell you, the ultimate step toward rest is trust. When you trust God, you're able to cast your cares on him and not constantly be, you know, mentally trying to solve every problem in the world and things like that. A lot of times, the physical fatigue that people feel is really the result of mental fatigue. Now, the ladies tend to like this statement, and and the statement is this, that God did his most magnificent work while Adam slept. (laughs) Stop and think about that. You say, why did God, apparently there was some kind of holy anesthesia. Because the Bible says God put Adam into a deep sleep. And he opened up his side. We have surgery in the book of Genesis. And he took out a rib and he closed the, the side and, and from the, the rib he formed the woman. Isn't that amazing? God did his most magnificent work while man slept. And the lesson is simple, that, that when man rests, God works. You know, in life, we need to be responsible. We need to take care of things and do what we need to do. But there comes a point in time where we just need to say, God, you know, there's more to this than I can accomplish. I'm going to rest and believe that you're at work in this situation. Number three, the third thing that we have when we really follow the great shepherd is peace. And I think this is kind of connected to the previous phrase. Not only does he make us to lie down in green pastures, but he leads me beside the still waters. You know, I think if you're a sheep, you don't really want to drink like from the side of a waterfall. You probably don't want to drink out of, you know, where people are white water rafting. Um, If you're a sheep, I think they kind of prefer still waters. And uh, just like people need rest for their souls, man, have we ever had a time in society where more people needed rest and peace, rather, where people needed peace? I mean, so many people are, are you know, it's, it's just like everybody's wearing a T-shirt that says, I've got one nerve left and you're on it. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. I was going through the Charlotte airport just a couple weeks ago and and walked by one of the stores and there was a t-shirt that said, I'm sorry for what I said during the quarantine. You know, just people on edge, people agitated and that type of thing. But Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When we follow the shepherd, he will lead us into provision. He will lead us into rest. He will lead us into peace. Number four, he leads us into restoration. Restoration. He restores my soul. Why why would our soul need to be restored? 
Well, what does it mean to be restored? It means, you know, people who restore cars or, you know, classic antique cars, they, they bring it back to its best condition. They bring it back, you know, to the way it, it was when it was first made. You know, get rid of all the rust and the dents and the dings and the frayed, messed up stuff. And they make it just, they make it new. They restore it. They bring it back to its original condition. And why do we need that? Because we live in a world that beats the daylights out of people. We live in a world where people are bruised. People have been beaten emotionally. They've been neglected. They've been abandoned. Uh, they've been put down. Listen, this world will, will chew you up and spit you out. It leaves people hurting. Leaves people confused. Leaves people not trusting anyone. Leaves people afraid of others and, and that type of thing. But David said, he restores my soul. He'll bring you back to the condition you were created for. Number five, this is powerful. When we follow the great shepherd, he, we have guidance. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Notice he doesn't just lead us, but he leads us in paths of righteousness. And, and he doesn't even just, see, sometimes we think, well, he just leads us for our benefit. No, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He'll lead us in ways that are honorable, righteous, ethical, moral, godly, so that he can receive glory from our lives. The question is not whether he will lead us. The question is, do we want to be led? Do we want to be led? Because I'll tell you, if we're not led by him, our flesh will give us leadings. The world will tell us what we're supposed to do. The devil will try to lead us, but it won't be in paths of righteousness. And all these other ways will ultimately lead to destruction, but he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Number six, I love this one, security. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I like that. For See, this is one of the reasons that we know this is not a psalm just for death and funerals and that type of thing. Because um, he, he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. We fear no evil. We have security in him. Did you know that in heaven there is no valley of the shadow of death? That's talking about our journey through life our lifetime, our existence here. It's not just talking about the final end of our earthly lives, but, but people, you know, probably many people here, you know, this year you've been through a valley, you've been through a difficult time. And I love what Winston Churchill said. He said, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> David, David did not say, yea, though I set up camp in the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I build a cottage in the valley of... He said, no, though I walk through. And here's the thing. When you're following the shepherd, he's going to take you through. You're going to come out the other side. 
And David said, I will fear no evil. We can walk in security and confidence and faith and trust and peace even when we go through maybe the hardest moments of life. Number seven, when we are following the great shepherd, we have comfort. He leads us into places of comfort and assurance. And and what did David say? He said, because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, you got to think like a sheep for a minute. When the sheep looks up and sees the shepherd, and he might have two different pieces of wood with him. One is a rod. Just think of a baseball bat club type thing. And the other is a staff. It's a long stick, probably with a curved end. And if the sheep has watched the shepherd, he knows that if a wolf or some other predatorial animal comes, that that shepherd is going to take that club. David talked about this when a wolf got one of his sheep. David said, I went and grabbed that and I beat it. And, uh, you know, you know, I know we're not trying to advocate violence or anything, but um, he, he, he destroyed that wolf and uh, rescued the lamb. And so the rod of the shepherd represents the authority and the power of the shepherd. And the staff uh, is not like the rod. The staff, if, if you've got kind of a, a hill type thing, maybe cliffs, uh, rocks and stuff, and a sheep falls down, And the shepherd can't reach physically. The shepherd takes that long stick with the hook, and it's an extension of his care and compassion. And he hooks that sheep's body and pulls it back to safety. So when David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, he's saying, God, you've got all the tools you know, to take care of any enemy that might come against me and also to keep me close to you, to pull me to your side, you know, that type of thing. David said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We can be comforted by both the power of God and the compassion of God. The next one that we have here, I said these would be very quick. Number eight, when we follow the great shepherd, we have sustenance sustenance. David said, you prepare a table before me. And this is where this verse gets a little bit unusual. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not too keen about sitting down and eating with my enemies. Kind of want to keep as much distance as possible. You know, we've enjoyed, we've had some nice meals and, you know, just so enjoy fellowship and things like that. But I'm with you guys. I'm just totally relaxed and comfortable. You know, I'm not, you know, what's he going to do? Is he going to, you know, is he going to take his fork and stick me in the hand? You know, I just have to be on my guard. No, I'm totally relaxed with him. But see, this verse doesn't say that he prepares a table before me in the presence of my friends. That would be one thing. David said he prepares a table before me in the... That doesn't mean we're at the same table necessarily. But he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. See, this is another way we know this is not a psalm about heaven. There's no enemies in heaven. But how many of you know we have enemies in life? 
The Bible says the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, resist him. The Bible says that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. But there's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, And Jesus, the Bible says, Psalm 23 says that God prepares a table before us even though there's enemies out there. There have been a few times, I've had a pretty good life, you know, pleasant life. I, th- I hear people who've been, boy, they've been through so much more than I have, you know, in life and things like that. But, you know, sometimes in my life when I've gone through some things and maybe just felt really threatened by some situation, circumstance, or, or just fear kind of, you know, doing a number, you know, that type of thing. If you get really stressed... If you get really just over into kind of runaway anxiety, did you know that it tends to take your appetite away? You get under enough stress, and man, it'll shut down. It's a physiological, biochemical type thing, but it'll shut down your your appetite. Or if you're wired a little bit differently, you'll want to eat everything, including the refrigerator. You know, stress eating, that's another... But I've had a few times where, man, my appetite was just, you know, I'm just, because you're, you're just, you're, you're on high alert, you're hypervigilant, you're catastrophic thinking and that type of thing. And, and, you know, but David said, you prepare a table before me. That's the picture here in Hebrews, a feast. You prepare a feast before me, even though the enemies are out there. See, this is where trust really comes. When you know when you are persuaded that no weapon formed against you will prosper. And you know that in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Even though the enemies are there, you just sit down at the table and you just say, listen, devil, you're not going to mess with my appetite. I, God's prepared a feast for me. You, nothing you do is going to work against me. No weapon you form against me is going to prosper. I'm going to enjoy the, 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 the feast of Almighty God. It's a powerful statement. Number nine, you anoint my head with oil. We not only have sustenance and security in these things, but we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? He anoints our heads with oil. Now, if you're a sheep, um, back especially in, in, in ancient times, uh, they, they used olive oil for absolutely everything. It was their soap. It was their medicine. They cooked with it. They, they did everything with oil. And uh, it was used for sheep uh, because they would be in these dry, their skin would start to crack and bugs would get in and bite them and they'd get infected and all that. So the shepherd would take this oil and pour it on their head and really rub it and massage it in around their ears where the bugs would bite, even around their nose. And it, it was just, it soothed their skin. It was complete for the, for, the, uh, for the sheep. It not only provided a barrier against all the annoying insects, but it was just, it was like a moisturizer. It was a moisturizer, completely refreshing to that sheep. David, he, and we understand that oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit, so he anoints our heads with oil. You know, just a moisturizer, refreshing from heaven. You know, the bugs can't bite through it. And if we did get bit, it'll be a medicinal, you know, soothing, healing type uh, uh, 
element to our, our recovery and things of that nature. Number 10, and I like this, when we follow the great shepherd, we have abundance. Abundance. My cup does what? My cup runs over. And see, this is a step beyond the simple provision of verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack. It's one thing to not lack. It's another thing to have an overflow. You say, well, isn't that wasteful to have an overflow? No, because when our cup overflows, we share it with other people. We minister to other people out of our abundance, out of our overflow, and things of that nature. You know, there's this old saying in the natural, I mean, it's a good saying, that the pessimist says, my cup is half empty. The optimist says, my cup is half full. But the believer says, my cup runneth over. I like that better. Number 11, very quickly, we're wrapping this up. Number 11, when we follow the great shepherd, we end up with confidence. David says, surely. That's a powerful word. I love it that he didn't say, maybe goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He didn't say, perhaps. He didn't say, possibly. He didn't say, I hope so. He said, surely. That means certainly, absolutely, definitely, without a doubt, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. When we follow the great shepherd, he will build that kind of confidence on the inside of us. And number 12, and the final point here for tonight, when we follow the great shepherd, we will have a sense of union with God. He's with us. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I may go through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will dwell. See the difference? It's one thing to pass through. It's another thing to dwell in it. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, when I was a young Christian, you know, I, 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 I start doubting about, am I really saved? And, you know, I might mess up somehow and say something wrong or do something wrong or uh, have a bad thought or something. And then I'd have this accusing thought. See, you're not really a Christian because if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't do that, say that, think that type of thing. And, uh, and because I didn't know the Bible well, but I was going through John chapter 6 and I read where Jesus said... If you come to me, I will never reject you. I will never cast you out. I will never turn you away. Aren't you glad that Jesus is our shepherd and that he has received us into an eternal embrace? He is ours and we are his. And I just wanted to encourage you tonight with these thoughts that The Lord is our shepherd. Don't let that just be a religious phrase that you utter. But think about all the meanings and and ramifications and, and perspectives of what it really means for the Lord to be our shepherd. Because when he is our shepherd, we're going to have, say these after, we're going to have provision. We're going to have rest. 
We're going to have peace, peace. Restoration, restoration, guidance, guidance. Security, security, comfort, comfort. Sustenance, sustenance, anointing, anointing. Abundance, abundance, confidence, confidence. And, union. and union. Let's all stand up. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for every person that's here tonight.